Well, good morning and welcome to Springbrook. We're so glad you're with us this morning. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? We got leftovers in our house. For the, it's been a while since we had leftovers, so that's been fun. I wish the weather would make up its mind if it's going to be hot or it's cold. The barometric pressure has got my ears. <laughs> so I know that I'm grateful for uh, our family. I'm grateful for our church family. I hope you all were blessed uh, this past week. Today we're kicking off a new series on Advent. Uh, but before we get started, I just want to welcome you. You should have received a program on the way into the service. If you could take that out with me for a moment. On the inside, there's some news and events, some things that you might want to look forward to. Um, so you can uh, look through that. There's a welcome slip that is attached to the right side of your program. And if you are a first or second time guest with us this morning, we want to extend a special welcome to you. There's a place to indicate that at the top. Uh, you can share with us as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. And then you can bring that by our guest services desk this morning. We have a special gift uh, for you for being with us this morning. And if you're a regular attender, I just put your first and last name uh, up at the top. We're glad that you're here uh, as well. And we'll be collecting those a little bit later towards the end of the service. I also wanted to just take a moment to thank you for your generosity during this, uh, this past season. Last week, we collected 35 Thanksgiving baskets. And so we had an opportunity to deliver those last week. So thank you for everyone that contributed to that. We were able to bless several families in Springbrook. We were able to take them to uh, Lake on the Hills Elementary School, and we went down to uh, Head Start uh, down in Carpentersville. So we were able to find a home for all those baskets um, immediately. And then we also collected um, 90 shoe boxes uh, for Operation Christmas Child. So thank you for everyone that brought in their shoe boxes. I know, yeah, Bill and Becky Atkinson. Um, we were able to help us collect those and get those delivered. And so if you did sign up for a shoebox, be sure to track that. It's fun to get online and see where your shoebox um, actually ends up. And then we also uh, collected 75 gifts uh, for Operation uh, Christmas Child. It's for the Angel Tree um, for Prison Fellowship. And so we had 75 people that took gifts um, for the angels uh, for Angel Tree. And so uh, I just want to thank you for your generosity as we go through this Christmas season for the opportunity we have uh, to share the love of Christ with people in such simple ways. Um, but uh, thank you for uh, participating in that. And then um, also I just wanted to let you know we're kicking off uh, Advent. So this is the first of a four-week series. I'm looking forward to We're going to jump into Matthew in just a moment. But do you guys know what this is? This is an Advent calendar. As you can tell, the first two slots are already empty because I had to test it to make sure it worked. And I had to open it up for the second service, or the first service. So I take the chocolate out, so now I'm going to get to open it up a third time, but I'm not going to eat the chocolate now. So, But this is the way it worked in our house. If you ever threw an Advent calendar out into the midst of a group of kids, you know what happens? They all fight over the Advent calendar, trying to get to the chocolate. In my house, um, we were constantly arguing over who ate whose chocolate. Um, we've got four kids uh, in our house, and so growing up, we always threw out the Advent uh, calendar. The kids had fun with that, but it never failed that the Advent calendar brought more strife than it did peace in our house because we were constantly arguing about who's eating whose candy. We will not make it to Christmas and all the candy will be gone. <laughs> and so that's what Advent was for me growing up. You know, I thought about uh, candy and Christmas toys when I was growing up as a kid. I used to watch commercials and I just kind of keep a note of things. Oh, that looks like fun. That looks fun. So that by the time I got to Santa, I had this nice list of toys that I wanted. And so uh, I know everybody celebrates Christmas in different ways. There's different traditions, and so we want to be careful with how we talk about some of these things. Uh, but for me growing up, Christ was always something that was kind of an afterthought. It, it disrupted my Sunday morning so because I, I could go to church. So I was like, well, when are we going to get back to play with our toys? 
And so I know we all got different traditions, but Advent is an opportunity for us to stop and to refocus and to reflect on the reason for this season, namely being Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to kick off our series by looking at um, Advent from the perspective of where do you find your peace? You know, there's no peace uh, when kids are fighting over chocolate out of an Advent calendar. There doesn't seem to be a lot of peace when we're trying to do Christmas shopping or trying to get the food on the table or trying to get everybody at the table or, or trying to travel from homes to home. And so it seems like every holiday season as we move through Thanksgiving and Christmas, peace is the last thing we experience. In light of the fact that that's actually why Jesus came, so that we could have peace and have a relationship with him and experience that peace. And so this morning I want to ask you, where does your peace come from? You know, we've come through Thanksgiving. We're preparing for Christmas. Do you have a sense in your spirit of peace? Where does your peace come from? In John chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, I have said these things to you. I've been with you. You've been listening to my teaching. I've said these things to you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you're going to have what? Trials and tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So our peace is rooted in and found in Christ. And that's what we're going to look at in our passage from Matthew 1 this morning. As we move towards Christmas over these next few weeks, I'm praying for a renewed sense of God's presence in our life, individually and collectively as the church. I'm praying for a peace that would move us beyond our circumstances. I think about my own life and some of the things I'm praying for, for families in our congregation. And I'm praying that God would just give us peace in spite of our circumstances. And I'm praying for an outpouring of his spirit as we focus on his son. We're going to look at just a few moments at four realities of where we find our peace and the promises of God. But I'd like to invite you to pray with me as we open our time up um, together. Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together in this place um, to celebrate and focus our eyes on you and on your son. God, thank you for your call in our life. God, I thank you for the reality of the resurrection. I thank you that you are faithful. As we move through our time together this morning, I pray for a sense of peace in our lives as we focus on and move towards uh, this Christmas holiday. God, we thank you for this time we could share together. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you brought your Bible with you, um, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Just go towards the center. Start moving to the right. First book of the New Testament. And then if uh, you're using your Bible app, you can turn there. Um, you can follow along with our sermon notes. Uh, you can go to springbrook.org slash notes or just search Springbrook Church uh, in the Version Bible app. But let's read um, beginning in the book of Matthew chapter 1 with verse 1. It says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Oab by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Oh, we made it. We're a third of the way there. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. 
and Abijah the father of Asma, and Asma the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah was the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad, and Abiad was the father of Echelim, and Echelim was the father of Azor, and Azor was the father of Zodak, and Zodak was the father of Akim, and Akim was the father of Elihad, and Elihad was the father of Elizer. You following along? Elizer was the father of Mathan, and Mathan was the father of Jacob, finally a name, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, of who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So what do you do with that? How many of you have read through the book of Matthew? Has anybody had an opportunity to read through the genealogy before? It's a great study. Most people go right to what? To the birth of Jesus. Because when we think of the Christmas story, what's the first thing we think of? We think of the birth of Jesus. But this is in there for a reason. All of Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, right? Except for the genealogies. That's not the way that works. That genealogy is in there for a reason. It's important. Because through our genealogy, we're able to identify and understand who it is we're reading about. Genealogies are important because they point to who a person is. Last week I came in, it was Tuesday evening, it was dark outside, and I walked into the front lobby, and uh, there's two kids sitting in the lobby. I'm like, that's odd. You know, walked in and I saw these two kids sitting there, and they're on their cell phones. I'm thinking, this was just totally out of place. I'm thinking, you know, did they wander in here and... And so, uh, so we were both sitting there. They were kind of ignoring me. They were probably freaked out because I walked in. I was freaked out because they were sitting there. And so I said, oh, hi, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing good. <laughs> I said, hey, what's, what's your last name? And the little boy said, uh, last name's Kroll. And it clicked. This is John Kroll's kids. You know, he was at worship practice. They were all quiet in here. I thought they were by themselves. But the second those kids said their name was Kroll, I knew who they were. I had some context for why they were there. And we had a great conversation. We gave them some snacks. And I got to tell them, you know, I remember you guys when you were just little kids growing up. And we had this great conversation all because they told me their last name. And so when you look at a genealogy, it says something about the person that you're studying. This is my genealogy. This is the genealogy of the Woolards. Somebody asked me if this is my Bible. I said, no, it is my genealogy. And it goes all the way back to the 1600s. So I got this for a Christmas gift one year. My mom got this for me. And uh, you know how many times I've read this? (laughs) Guess. Never. (laughs) I did open the first page and think, wow, this is really interesting. 1600. I'm related to uh, the Wright brothers. So Overall and Wilbur Wright, I've got a pirate in my genealogy. And so I kind of thumbed through and I was, oh, that's kind of interesting. And you know what I did? What's the first thing I did? I went to go find name. Because I want to see, well, let me see where I am in this. And so lo and behold, I'm right in the middle. 
And uh, we had a divorce in my family along the way. And so I turned to my genealogy uh, and I was like, the names are all wrong, but I see the new family's names are right. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's just not fair. So I closed the book back up and there it sits. So this is my genealogy going all the way back to 1600s. But what's really interesting is the things that I can learn about my family and my family history. I can only go back to 1600s. The things that's really fascinating about Jesus's genealogy is, is that it goes all the way back for Luke, all the way back to the very beginning with Adam and Eve. This morning, we're going to look at the genealogy from the book of Matthew. In two weeks, we're going to shift from Matthew. We're going to start looking at Jesus's birth from Luke's perspective. But I want to look at the genealogy of Jesus and talk about what that means for us during these next two weeks, because Matthew, I think, does a better job of looking at the Old Testament narrative of what it means to be the promised Messiah. You see, Matthew is the most Jewish book in the Old Testament. He focuses specifically on Jesus as the promised Messiah. He quotes the Old Testament more than any other authors in the Gospels. He's more focused on the kingdom of God. And he looks at the genealogy of Jesus from a paternal legal perspective through Joseph. Joseph. And so he looks at Jesus' genealogy through the lens of the father. The paternal is the father's side. As it looks at from David, and it comes down through Solomon. And so he gets to Jesus through Solomon, through that paternal genealogy. When you look over at the book of Luke, he comes at the genealogy through Solomon's brother Nathan, and he looks at it from a maternal perspective, through the line of the mothers. And what's really interesting is, is that both genealogies at the very end come to point to the reality of Jesus as the promised Messiah. But I really like the way Matthew focuses on it from the line of Solomon and as he focuses on the reality of Jesus being the Messiah. Both genealogies uh, point to God's promise that is fulfilled in Christ, but from two perspectives. Um, Luke will start from Adam and take it all the way down uh, to Jesus in reverse. Um, You have Matthew that starts off with the genealogy from Abraham. He's speaking primarily to a Jewish audience. He focuses right in and narrows right in on the promises that were made to Abraham and to um, David as a Jewish faith, as they think about the Messiah that's going to be coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all four Gospels. Um, They all tell the same story about Jesus, but from a different perspective. Um, So as you read through the book of Mark, for example, Mark will depict Jesus uh, as a suffering servant. And so you get to see discipleship failure, Jesus portrayed as a suffering servant. So Mark has his perspective. As you read through the book of Luke as a doctor, it's more of a reflection of Jesus' compassion that he has towards outsiders and to outcasts. And so you get Luke's perspective uh, in his book. The book of John is completely different than the other three Gospels. In the book of John, um, over 90% of what John writes is unique and completely different uh, from the other three books. But John focuses on Jesus as the Son of God. And so that's his perspective. It's when you read through Matthew and with his focus on teaching and speaking to the Jews that you'll see him focus on Jesus as the promised Messiah, the King, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and fulfillment of promises from God. All of Matthew, the entire book, points to the kingship of Jesus, which is why he starts off with this legal genealogy. He's focused on the kingship 
issue of who Jesus is. And Matthew will point to Jesus as the promised Messiah. And if you take any one of those components of that genealogy out, then Jesus is not the guy. And so this genealogy that Matthew will outline for us is critical to understanding that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And we're going to look at four realities where we can find our peace this morning because of the promises of God. And so the first reality that we find from our passage is that our peace is found rooted in God's promises because he is faithful and he keeps his promises. God is faithful. Matthew would open up um, his letter with the genealogy of Jesus, rooting Jesus in as the son of Abraham and the son of David. Look what he said in Matthew verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Matthew is writing with a Jewish focus and he is rooting Jesus in as Abraham and David's offspring because these are the two men that God made promises to. The Israelites, these early Jewish believers, understood the promises from Abraham and and understood the promises from David. And so Matthew steps back and he roots Jesus Christ squarely in as the offspring of David and Abraham. These two men are the central figures in the story of God's blessing and redemption of the people of Israel. You see, in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 17, God made this promise to Abraham. He said, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring, just as the stars of heaven and of the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall be the nations of the earth be blessed. These early Jewish followers, these Israelites, knew that that promise was given to Abraham. And so when Matthew is giving this genealogy of Jesus, he roots Jesus squarely in this promises so that the Israelites, so that these Jews don't miss the point that Jesus is the one that is fulfilling this promise. And then when you look at this gates of the enemy, when you talk about um, uh, possessing the gates of the enemy, you know, the point here is, is that in this time period, that, that gates of the enemy means that you're going to have control over your enemy. You're going to control their front gates. And so your offspring are going to possess the gates of his enemies means that Jesus is going to be in control. Whoever fills this passage is going to be in control of their enemies, which is why the Jewish people were thinking that when they got a king, that there was going to be some kind of a rebellion, that there's going to be this kingship and that they were going to be over the land. The Jews were expecting a king that was going to control the gates of their modern day enemies. And they were expecting a worldly king that was going to come and was going to reign and establish them as the leaders of God's people. But Jesus fulfills this promise, not just from a worldly perspective, but from a spiritual perspective. They didn't know what they were looking for. And for today, as we look back, we read passages such as Ephesians 6, which remind us that our battle is not just against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces of wickedness. Jesus would claim this same passage for himself in terms of his kingship. Jesus is not only just over the heavens of the earth. He is over all things eternal. And those 
promises that God made back then are what Matthew is rooting the reality of Jesus in. And he would do the same thing with David in Psalm 132 and verse 11. It says this, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn his back. One of the sons of your body, I'm going to set on your throne. You see, Jesus is king and he has a throne, but it's not a worldly throne. He's not just a worldly king. He has a king and he has a throne that is timeless. It's eternal. It is all powerful. And Matthew, when he spells out this genealogy, wants to make sure that he is rooting Jesus Christ in as the fulfillment of both of these promises. He wants Jesus to rest squarely on the fulfillment of those promises. You see, God is faithful and he will keep his promise. And this is where we find our peace. Jesus is not just some new age teacher that came on the scene that was you know, a good man, was a moral teacher, that just said some good things. He is rooted from the beginning of time in the reality of God's promises and God has been faithful. And so we get our peace this morning, not because of our circumstances, not from a worldly perspective, but by knowing that God keeps his promises and he is faithful. So that is one of the first ways that we see the reality of our peace rooted in who Christ is. We know that God is faithful and he keeps his promises. But you know what else? He does things in in his timing. And that leads us to the second reality. Our peace is found in God's promises because his timing is perfect. You see, what's interesting about this genealogy is that it sums up a great period of time. In verse 17, it says this. These are the generations from Abraham to David. There were 14. From David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. That's three generations of 14. you know how many years that is? That is, that is 2,000 years for them. It's 4,000 years for us. See, when God made that promise to Abraham, it was somewhere around 2000 BC. And so Jesus would fulfill that 2,000 years. For us today, it's 4,000-year-old promise. When God gave that promise to David, it was somewhere around 1,000 BC. You know, for them, it was 1,000. For us, it's 3,000 years. You know, when you think about the promises that began with Adam, as we're going to look at, you'll see in Luke, you know, those promises began when God made a covenant before Adam when he told the serpent in Genesis 3.15, I'm going to put enmity between you and her and between your seed and her seed. I'm going to crush your head and you're going to strike his heel. That's a 16,000-year that's a gap for us. See, God's promises, he's faithful, but he does things in his own timing. That is a long time to wait for a promise, isn't it? 6,000 years for a promise or 5,000, 4,000, depending upon your perspective. It's all about perspective. See, I was in the drive-thru getting some coffee last week. And I had to chuckle as I thought about um, this message. I was in line for like five minutes. And I ordered my coffee. And uh, so I was just kind of sitting there. I'm thinking, five minutes, man. What is going on up there? How long does it take to make a cup of coffee? <laughs> I mean, we think of our, in, our, in our culture, in our society, our brains think about, you know, we want things right now. It's like we're going to pray. It's like, hey, God, I, I need to take this from me now. Can, can you do this now? I mean, we don't think in terms of God's timing for his fulfilling his plans in our life. We are an immediate 
expectant culture. We're not going to wait a thousand years or two thousand years. You know, I'm in line for five minutes. I can't wait for a cup of coffee. The Israelites were waiting for years for this promise to be filled. Some of them didn't get to see it, but they lived by faith and God counted it to them as righteousness. And so we have the benefit today of looking back and knowing that Jesus is the fulfillment of this, of this promise. And we, have to, we know that God is faithful and we know that he does keep his promises and we know that his timing is perfect. You know, I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't have a watch on. There's no, there's no watch in heaven. God doesn't have an alarm set on his iPhone or his Android thinking, hey, it's time for me to pay attention to Richard. I think if we get to heaven, there are cell phones, it's going to be an iPhone, this Android, I don't know. You know, God doesn't have the same perspective on time that we do. And he does things in his time. And we have to get in line with what God's timing is. God works in us while we're waiting, but he operates in his time because his time is perfect. In Isaiah 40, 31, it says, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. In our waiting, we are made strong. Our faith grows. When we wait on God, he's able to accomplish his plans. You can't accomplish moving Christ to the Messiah overnight. It took three 14-year generations before God's people would finally get to the point that they were ready to receive Jesus as the Messiah. God works about things in his own time. And it's through that waiting that he reveals himself as faithful through his word and our obedience. As I reflect back on my own circumstances and I read through your prayer requests and I think about some of the conversations I've had with people just in our church, in our community, I can tell you that we are all right now waiting on God to answer some form of a prayer, right? We all are waiting on God and expecting him to answer. We need to be reminded that the birth of Jesus Christ is the fullness of God and it's in God's faithfulness and fullness that we can find peace and that he will do things in his timing. His timing is perfect. He might not answer prayers as quickly as we'd like. He might want to do something in us before he answers that prayer. And so we know that God is faithful and he keeps his promises and we know that God's timing is perfect. And we also know that he knows what our needs are even before we ask him, which leads us to the third reality that we find in the promises of God. The third reality is is that our peace is found in God's promises because he understands our needs. God already knows what we need even before we ask him. You know, if you have ever had a time that you've been looking for something to read or something to meditate on, I would encourage you to go back through and look at the names of some of those people in that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. You know, it is just filled with people that are messed up, that are in need, that have something going on in their lives. God knows what we need even before, he, he, even before we ask him. And he, he identifies with us. He knows that. I find peace knowing that even if I can't even think about how to pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede on my behalf for me. God knows our needs. And that gives me peace that I don't have to be in control of every detail of my life. God knows our needs and he knew the needs of everyone in this list. You know, this whole list of people in this genealogy is filled with people that are messed up, that are hurting, that are broken. You know, in verse 2, we see it starts out with Abraham. You know, we, we know that Abraham uh, was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. 
go back and do a study on Abraham. Abraham, Abraham stepped out in faith uh, to go to the land that God said he would show him. And so he stepped out in faith, but no sooner does he steps out, then he starts to pray, you know, out of, out of fear. I can't imagine Abraham didn't spend some time in prayer about fear. In fact, he's so fearful that he moves into one territory. He starts lying about his wife, saying, this is my daughter, because he doesn't want anybody, he doesn't want anybody going after his wife. Abraham was just a liar. And he did that out of fear. And so that was his motivation. We all have different things that motivate us and motivate our prayer life. Abraham, even though he was obedient, was somebody that lied about Sarah, his wife. And then you get to Isaac. Isaac caused so much rivalry in his family. He, he loved Jacob better. He, he creates chaos in his family such that Jacob would actually go in and steal Esau's birthright. And so you've got this whole family drama unpacking just between Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I mean, that family is just is, is messed up. They're broken. As you move down into verse 5, you see Rahab, you know, Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab, she was a prostitute. You know, she was a Canaanite prostitute. Then you see Ruth. Um, Ruth was, the, uh, was with Obed. So you have Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And so Ruth, Ruth wasn't even allowed into the sanctuary. You know, she was a Moabite, and the Jews wanted nothing to do with Moabites. And so Ruth couldn't even go into the temple and in the tabernacles to participate in worship. I mean, she just was banned. She wasn't allowed. You know, as you move through these different passages, you get a sense that every single one of these people's lives are messed up. They're all hurting. They're all broken. And, and the whole list is made up of people that are broken. As you move down through the rest of the passage, in verse 6, we see David. Jesse was the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon. Well, what do we know about David? David looked at another woman, lustfully, uh, Bathsheba, sent Bathsheba's husband out to get killed and then married her and then had Solomon. Talk about a messed up family. I mean, what was going on in David's mind that he felt like he had to look at other women? I mean, David was completely messed up. He, he murders one of his mighty men and, and Bathsheba doesn't even get mentioned. She's by Solomon, the wife of Uriah. I mean, there's complete dysfunction, pain and brokenness in that family. Manasseh would be counted as one of the wicked kings. Manasseh was so wicked he caused the entire nation to turn away from God. And he set up idols, and he set up altars to false gods. As you move through reading his story, God will, will get his attention, and so he repents, and God would redeem him. But Manasseh turned an entire nation against God. As you look down through this genealogy, you know, it's filled with people just like you and me. They're broken, they're lost, they're messed up, they've got stuff going on in their life. And one of the things that gives us peace is that knowing that in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our condition, God knows what we need, even before we ask. He knows what we need. And, and you don't have to be perfect to come into church, and you don't have to be perfect before you have a relationship with Christ. God accepts you right where you are and draws you into a relationship with himself. And, and that's where we find peace, knowing that we don't have to put on a mask for God. He knows everything that there is to know about you, everything. And he knows what you are going to ask him even before you ask. That gives me peace, knowing that I serve and love a God that cares about me, that knows every detail, that's got my benefit. He, he, knows, he knows what I need before I ask. I know he's faithful. I know his timing's perfect. And I know he knows my needs. And those things give me peace. You know, God knows every detail of our lives. In Matthew 6, it says, Jesus says that the Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Therefore, as a result of this, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, not our storehouse. You'll help us to live out a life daily in light of who we are in Christ. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who forgive us. You know, we have to approach God with a sense of humility. It gives us peace knowing that he's faithful, he's in control, he does things in his timing, and he knows our needs. The entire Christmas story is that God understands your need and it's there that we find peace. If you're uneasy or you're frustrated because you don't think God is uh, understanding of your situation or your condition, you need to know that not only does he know, but he cares. And he has a plan for that. And that's the fourth reality that we find in the promise of God, that God has a plan. Our peace is found in God's promises because he has a plan. He's not looking down and going, oh, I did not know that that was going to happen. God's not surprised by anything. God has a plan for everything that we see going on around us. In the beginning, it starts within the beginning where God created the heavens and the earth. From the beginning, God has had a plan. That plan has been fulfilling itself out day by day to get us to the point where we are today. He has a plan. He's always had a plan. He has a plan that is rooted in who we find in Christ. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and Mary, he is human. But we also know he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he is God. Jesus says, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He and the Father are one. We know that a part of God's plan is the fulfillment of our identity of who we are in Christ and are having a relationship with him through that. In Matthew 1.16, Matthew said this, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. He is called Christ. That word Christ is not his last name. It's his title. It's a position that he fills. In John 1, 4, Andrew would cry out to Peter, hey, we've found the Messiah, come and see, which means Christ. Jesus Christ is Jesus, but Christ is his position. It's his title. The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. It's a translation of a Hebrew word meaning the anointed one, translated into English as the Messiah. It's a position that Jesus has fulfilled as a part of God's plan. And all we are and all God has called us to be can be found in Christ. And he has a plan for each one of us, for you and for me, the fulfillment of which begins with our identity in Christ. And so as we move into Advent and we move towards wanting to experience peace in our life, it begins by being rooted in our identity in Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved from this fallen and broken world that we're all experiencing. You'll be drawn into a relationship with himself and you'll experience peace like you would not otherwise experience trying to do things on your own. Our peace is found in our identity and who we are in Christ. And this morning, if you're looking for a sense of peace, there's things going on in your life and you're not quite sure what God's doing through those circumstances, you need to step back and remember that you belong to him, that he is faithful. He does care about you. He knows your needs. His timing is perfect. and He does have a plan for you. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, it begins there. You're not going to experience the peace that we're talking about as we move through Advent towards Christmas apart from who you are in Christ. If you've never had an opportunity to place your faith in Christ or to trust him in that way, today is a great day to do that. 
That's what Christmas is all about. God loved you enough that he sent his son down to earth. God is with us, and we can have the fullness of a relationship with him through who we are in Christ. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that because that's where our peace is rooted and where it starts. And then you read the book of John, in John chapter 14, verse 3. Jesus says, look, if I go and I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I will take you to be with myself. That is a promise. Jesus has gone before us. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven. He has gone and he is going to prepare a place for you. And he is what? He is going to come again to take you to be with himself so that you can be where he is also. That's a promise. That's the assurance that we have as Christ followers. And so as we move towards Christmas, it's a reminder of who we are in Christ. It's a reminder of what we're looking forward to and where our home is. Our home is not here. Everything that you see with your eyes is temporary. It's going to go away except for relationships. Those are the only thing that you're going to take into heaven to be with you. My house is not my home. It's, it's a shelter over my head. It's warmth in the winter. It's cool in the summer. It's a place for protection. But that is temporary. My home is seated in the future with Christ. Heaven is our home, and that's the reality, and that's what we're looking forward to. And so as we move through Christmas, we want to make sure that our focus is in the right spot. I love getting gifts. I love hanging out with family. But it's also an opportunity for us to talk to one another, to encourage each other, to remind us of who it is that we belong to and where it is that we find our peace. Peace is something that will eludes the majority of people around us just because they do not have peace that is found in Christ. Our peace is found in the promises of God and it's experienced in these four realities. Just to kind of summarize, our peace is found in the promises of God because he's faithful. His timing is perfect. He understands our need and he has a plan. And so we light the first Advent candle as we prepare to move into the Christmas season. We're focusing on where our peace lies. As we move through this series, we're going to look at what it means to be redeemed and to have our hope placed in Christ. We're going to look at what it means to worship Jesus and we're going to look at his birth and what that means for us. But we want to start this series by understanding that God is faithful. He keeps his promises and that's where we find our peace. That's my prayer for each of us as we move through this series, that we'd have an ever-increasing sense of God's presence in our lives so that we can become all that God has called us um, to be. Last week, uh, we finished up the last series, and as I was thinking about this next series, it was so exciting to see how many of you um, expressed an interest in a relationship with Christ, had questions about baptism, or wanted to be intentional about sharing your faith. And I just want to encourage you that as we move through this Christmas season, that these next steps are still valid for today. You know, if you don't have a relationship with Christ and you want to know more about that, um, you can circle the number one at the top of your um, welcome slip. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you about how to have a relationship with Christ. If you've never had an opportunity to identify with Christ through baptism, um, we'll be doing another baptism service, hopefully, before the end of the year. It was so exciting to hear how many people, when they got baptized last week, were talking about the sense of peace that they had as a result of their being obedient to take that step. Baptism is a step of obedience. And if you want to know more about how to do that, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that. Our small group series has just finished up. The stories are still coming in about how many people just really experienced uh, the presence of God as they've gone through their study. I know our small groups are going to be taking breaks. Many of them are getting together to do potlucks. They're spending time together. They're doing caroling. They're serving their community. 
Our small groups are a great way for us to encourage one another in our faith walk. So we'll be kicking off a new series at the beginning of the year. And so if you are interested in learning more about our small groups, we encourage you to let us know how we can help you. Or maybe you just need to find a place to get connected. You know, getting connected and serving together in church is a great way to encourage and build one another up. I want to thank uh, Deanna Brandt and her family who uh, worked diligently um, to set Christmas up. We had Phil Gannison and uh, Jim Smoot and his team took down the Millennium Falcon, who I kind of missed this morning when I walked in. But, you know, when we get together and we serve together, it's an opportunity for us to sharpen and encourage and care for one another and, and bear each other's burdens. You know, we have a sense of peace as we uh, share our burdens with one another. And then as we move through this Christmas season, it is a great opportunity to share with others what the season is all about and where your hope lies. And so I would encourage you to be praying about who you might uh, share your faith with as we move through this um, series. Our worship team is going to come out in just a moment, but I want to close you um, with this prayer of blessing as we kind of bring our time together to a close. Jesus says, My peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you, That's not the way I'm giving to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Accept God's peace through Christ. It's that peace that Jesus is living with. It's that peace that Jesus gives us, and it's rooted in our identity of who we are in Christ. As we look at the promises that are fulfilled, and we see God's faithfulness, his perfect timing, his plan for our lives, and the fact that he knows our needs. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this time that we've been able to come together um, to celebrate uh, the beginning of this Advent series. Um, God, as we move through the holidays, I know there's a lot of distractions uh, from a worldly perspective that can take our eyes off of you. And so, God, we just want to, uh, we want to consecrate ourselves. We want to set ourselves apart as we move into this season, um, God, to experience the fullness of blessing that comes uh, from having a relationship with you. So I just pray for peace over our lives individually, collectively as our congregation. God, I look forward to all that you have for us. So we move through this series and towards the end of the, uh, this year. God, we look forward to all that you have for us as we prepare to embrace uh, a new year. And God, we just thank you for this time you've given us today. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.